You're listening to The Yarn, a podcast for and about the Australian wool industry. I'm Ellie Bigwood, and today on The Yarn, we hear from two next-generation Australian wool producers, one a 2019 Nuffield Scholar, and another a past breeding leadership and AWI Young Wool Growers China Tour participant, who is a proud owner of a wool wedding suit made from wool from his own property. First up, it's no secret that over the last 20 years, Australia's sheep flock has been shrinking in size. But what factors have been causing this reduction? Well, I'm glad you asked, because today on The Yarn we hear from Anthony Close, a mixed livestock producer from Victoria who has been investigating this exact question as a part of his Nuffield Scholarship, which is supported by AWI. I'm a fifth generation sheep and cattle farmer from Western Victoria, uh, based around Harrow, so just on the west side of the Grampians there. Anthony, thanks for joining us on The Yarn. You're here today because you're the 2019 Nuffield Scholar. Yeah, I um, feel very privileged to be uh, involved in the Nuffield Network. Um, it's, a, it's a really good organisation and uh, you know, I've learned a lot over this year. Um, so yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Nuffield Scholarship is, how many scholars there are, etc.? Yeah, so it's um, uh, pretty much... I think it's the best agricultural leadership and capacity building program, uh, as well as it generates a report that gives back to industry. Um, There's 17 scholars in 2019 from Australia, and they vary from uh, grain growers, uh, wine producers, egg farmers, uh, dairy people. Uh, So it's it's an agricultural. It's all encompassing. Yeah, very much so. Um, So there's only there's one person that's involved with with the wool industry. Um, and that's you? And that's me, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's, there's about 70 or 80 different scholars from around the world. It's in 14 different countries. Um, and it, yeah, it originated off the back of the, the Second World War uh, and the food security. Um, so a bloke called William Morris, who was Morris Motors Cars, uh, he travelled when he was a young bloke to America and met with Henry Ford and then really uh, valued that being able to go overseas, uh, gain information and come back. Um, so yeah, and then at the end of the Second World War he set up a foundation to give farmers the same opportunity that he had um, to, to travel overseas, get information and bring it back and help out industry. Oh, fantastic. So you get to undertake a research project that's fundamentally going to help farmers down the track. What is your project for the wool industry? Um, so I'm, my project is only a little one. It's based at uh, aiming at the merino industry and what we need to do to to turn it around. Um, there's obviously been some big declines in the flock in the last 30 years. Um, so looking at what we need to do and probably the three or four major things we need to change um, to see an increase in, in the marino industry in Australia. And what have you found so far in order to Im- improve the flock, increase the flock? Um, so I've sort of based it around three areas at the moment. One is around um, the sh- the sheep industry as a whole and having a united sheep, in, sheep industry. Um, you know, we're losing the fight to cropping. I think 76% of people have gone out of farming, out of sheep farming in the last 20 or 30 years have gone into cropping. Um, so having, having a united sheep uh, industry would be, would be one thing. Uh, the other thing is around wool marketing and um, the supply chain and, and what's the best way for the future for that to allow people to invest in farms and um, we've also had a very volatile market lately. Um, so what's the best way going forward to, to allow our point of difference, which is wool in the merino industry, um, to, to really be a long-term sustainable uh, industry for us all to invest in? And then the last thing is around technology and um, what, 
we can do to make sheep farming a bit easier, uh, as well as to try and generate young people in the industry. Uh, I think a lot of people have gone into the cropping sector with GPS auto steer. Um, so, yeah, looking at some stuff around some, some new technology to try and retain young people and, and make life a bit easier on, on farm. So you've got three strings to quite a big bow here, yeah. it seems. Um, <laughs> just drawing on your comments then about the shift to cropping and people moving away perhaps from livestock, um, you spoke a little bit about technology. Is that fundamentally it, that the cropping game perhaps has more advanced technology in the space or what are those factors? Uh, I think some of it is to do with technology. Um, young people are naturally just drawn to technology and, and you know, a lot of the millennial people are data-driven people now. Um, so increasing the amount of technology uh, we have will hopefully retain young people. A lot of innovation comes from the younger generation, uh, which really drives industry forward. Um, so I'm looking at some, some virtual fencing and that type of things um, that would, would really it'd be revolutionary for the sheep, for the livestock industry, um, and really be able to allow the people that have gone out into cropping to, to be able to run sheep and manage sheep in a really uh, easy, uh, low-cost low environment um, in a really easy easy way that fits in with the way they use technology on farm with their GPSs and that already on there. Um, if they can use them to be able to control sheep um, at, at the touch of an iPad, um, it would really allow those people that have really taken a lot of investment out in their fences um, to be able to get back into the sheep game easily. So you're a producer yourself, in fact, you're from Harrow in Victoria. A lot of the research that you're going into here, can you see uh, yourself applying this stuff in, back into your property? Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, virtual fencing, I think, would be the biggest quantum leap in livestock, especially sheep going forward. So. Uh, I think that would really make a huge difference as well as I'm looking at some of the foot rot stuff that they're doing in New Zealand um, and you know a lot of the from where we live we've got the croppers to the north and a lot of uh, crossbreds and composite um, to the south and a lot of people have gone out of sheep into cattle around the foot rot stuff um, so being able to put sheep back into the high rainfall as well as back into the the cropping sort of areas would make a big difference yeah you yourself uh you have cattle and you have sheep on your property so the applications are quite widespread too for both ASU. yeah very much so and being able to to lift grazing management um sheep we're in an undulating sort of area um with hills and that type of uh terrain um sheep generally like to sit on top of the hill and eat the the, the nice grass on top of there so being able to get grazing management um, and strip grazing and being able to make them utilise the whole the whole paddock rather than just the, the top of the hill would make a big difference and allow us to, to run probably more sheep um, where we have to use cattle in our environment to get the grazing management right. What inspired you in the beginning to do this research project and actually be a part of the Nuffield Scholarship? Yeah, so I had originally a, a our neighbour, a family friend who was a 2015 scholar, pushed me into uh, Michael Craig, pushed me into uh, doing the scholarship because uh, he's seen a, a huge benefit in it. Um, as well as you know, our family's been involved in merinos for for a long time, 100 years. Uh, it's been part of our DNA really, and what we've sort of built, what we are today, is off the back of the merinos. Um, so yeah, just to seeing a lot of people going out of them, uh, I couldn't understand why because you know our benchmarking over the last you know 20 years has always told us that there's um, good money in merinos, if not more money than others, and very stable production um, and not the ups and downs. Um, Granddad used to say that there was uh, 
there was always money in sheep, sometimes money in cattle and never money in racehorses. And to me, the benchmarking of that still says that that's, that's quite true. Um, so it's, it wasn't an economic thing that people were getting out of sheep, uh, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, just to try and get to the bottom of, of what, was, what was happening and what was going wrong and then try and find some solutions to, 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 to fix the problem. So we're making progress through your Nuffield scholarship. What have you done so far? What have the activities been so far that you've been involved in? Yeah, so obviously last September when I was announced at the conference as, the, as a scholar uh, and then in March this year we convened in uh, Canberra to get a sense of what the Australian policy around agriculture was and then from there all the 17 scholars went to Iowa in the USA where we met with the 70 or 80 other scholars from around the world uh, and we had a 10-day conference there on world agriculture and personal development. Um, we then, in a group of seven of us, uh, we went on a, a fully structured uh, two-month tour of the world. So we spent some time in D.C. meeting with uh, senators and that type of thing and then down to Florida to look at farming down there uh, and then to Mexico, Brazil, Netherlands, New Zealand, basically looking at the best farmers in each country from around the world, meeting with agriculture ministers, farm bureaus, um, farm lobby groups to gain an understanding of you know, what world agriculture is and what's the, the big issues around the world. They're all very much the same and, uh, and really tapping into some of the best minds in agriculture from all over the world. Yeah, I imagine that would have been fairly insightful. You've covered a lot of ground. What it, were there any take-homes from that global exposure, like anything that really stood out to you from um, being abroad and the global sense of agriculture? Uh, probably the main one was that the, the world is is uh, dictated by people who turn up um, and as farmers we're, we're really not in the policy space enough. Um, you know, I think 70% of farmers are introverts, um, so being able to get farmers into a room um, to be able to make decisions that impact their their future um, is vitally important. Uh, also, you know the importance of water around the world. You know, labour issues are the same everywhere. Um, but yeah, that one around um, farmers being in the policy space is um, is probably one that really stuck home with me. So you've got a ten thousand word report due in February. What are you hoping to see at the end of this report? Like, what tangible um, findings might you hope to be able to apply to wool growers? Um, yeah, well, everyone's going to have to read the report for the first thing. <laughs> I'm going to read every word. <laughs> That'll be available uh, at the end of next year. Um, but, yeah, I'm hoping to, to be able to see a bit of change for the positive. Um, I think you know, some of the ideas are obviously big ideas and they're not going to happen straight away overnight, but I'm hoping to have uh, plenty of low-hanging fruit that should be able to be easily implemented to make, to make a difference. Um, and, you know, the, the main one is that the supply chain talks a lot of the time, so if we can get a lot of things set up right in the supply chain, I think um, that'll drive a lot of on-farm behaviour and, and drive the direction of the industry a lot better. For anyone interested in the Nuffield Scholarship, would you recommend it and why? Yeah, I mean, I, I would recommend it to everyone. Um, you know, it's a big commitment you need to have. Uh, it's four months minimum overseas as well as a 10,000-word report at the end of it, so you have to have the right structures in place at home um, with the support networks to be able to do it. But it really, like, if you want to challenge yourself, think differently um, and, and really push yourself, um, then the Nuffield's for you. you know, I'll never think the same again. Uh, in a way, ignorance is bliss and, and now you have a greater understanding of how things work around the world. Um, and I imagine the networking side of things too is obviously phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, you look across... Uh, 
agricultural industry, you know, there's huge amounts of Nuffield influence um, everywhere through the, the VFF and NFF, um, through a lot of the boards across all the different uh, agricultural sectors, uh, as well as the private businesses that some of the Nuffield uh, scholars have run is just incredible. Um, when I left uni, people told me to use to hang around the top 20% producers, uh, where this is really like hanging around the top 5 or 1% for people. Yeah, you get imposter syndrome a lot and you're, you're wondering what you're doing in the room uh, with these sort of people, um, but they're just you know, down-to-earth people like you and, you and I, and um, yeah, it's been an incredible journey, and I'd recommend it to anyone. Fantastic. Well, it's so good having like a young next generation wool grower so enthused about such a project. Have you got any final comments for the listeners on the yarn today? Um, yeah, really, just to uh, to make sure that you, you get out there and get involved in in groups around the place. Um, doesn't matter if it's only at a local level or or further up. Um, yeah, to have your voice and you know, as an as a Australian farmer, you know, we've all got a really good story to tell. Um, so. We just need to get out there and, and keep telling that story in any way we can because, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great uh, career is agriculture and I'd yeah, recommend it to everyone and everyone, yeah. Anthony, thank you for being on the yarn today and best of luck for the rest of your project. No worries, thanks for having the yarn. Next up, Floyd Legg from the central west of New South Wales shares with us his experience from AWI's Young Wool Grower China trip. How did this opportunity allow him to get wool from his own property into his wedding suit? Ella Edwards was on the ground with Floyd to find out. I'm Ella Edwards and I'm here today to talk about a really special project that one farmer has gone down to get wool from his farm through to his suit at his wedding day. I'm here with Floyd and Kimberly Legg. Hi Floyd. Hello Ella, how are you? Hi hey, uh, Kimberly. how are you? Good, thanks. So Floyd, can you tell me how did this all begin? I guess all about how it all began was um, I guess um, I did a breeding leadership course which AWI was part of in 2016 in Clare and at the time uh, um, some of the staff members um, mentioned that um, they were starting to run young grower trips over to China and um, so I, I expressed my interest but um, in that first group uh, in 2017 um, they'd already chosen the people that were um, uh, the trip was fully booked however in August of uh, 2017 at a Sheep Producer Day in Orange, New South Wales, uh, which is close to home, uh, Marius Cummings was doing a presentation on um, the work of AWI and at the end he, he mentioned again if anybody was interested in going on the China trip to speak him afterwards. Well, I was probably the first person to um, jump at him uh, at the end of the uh, the, uh, his presentation and, um, and made mention of the fact that I, I'd be very interested to go to be, to be learning more about the wool supply chain because I feel that um, uh, for the majority of wool growers once a bale leaves the farm uh, and it's sold uh, that's the end of the uh, process for them whereas um, I guess um, uh, wanting to learn more about where a product goes uh, how it's used um, I wanted to be able to gain a better understanding of uh, 
the the good product that we that we produce, and not just seeing it as a uh, commodity that we sell or farm, but actually. It's a product with an end user, and I guess today, with um, people looking for uh, providence within their product, I think it's also important to be able to share the story that, and the very good stories of what farmers doing and having that connection with the end user. So, in 2018, you embarked on the China trip. Can you explain how it went? Oh, it was um, it was a great trip from um, from uh, making the second contact about the trip to receiving the email saying would you like to accept? Well, that wasn't very difficult to uh, reply to that email. Uh, we met uh, down here in Sydney and um, uh, first heard from the AWI office about what they do here, and then from the rest of the uh, trip, it was uh, branded under the Global Mark Woolmark, and so we went to Shanghai and then went through. Um, uh, scouring and top makers uh, right through to the Nanshan Group uh, where it's a fully vertically integrated company seeing Greasy Wall go in one end and suits ready for retail at the other end. Uh, so that was, I guess, uh, it was a lot of information to take on but also seeing all the steps along the way, particularly in one place, it, it showed a great appreciation of why um, it takes a while for wool to get through to the, the product at the other end, but also the cost of the the um, the garment at the other end because there's so many steps that it needs to go through and the care and detail that they need to uh, do with that wool fibre to maintain all the wonderful characteristics that it has when it comes off the sheep. Okay, so you're on the China trip. You're seeing all these amazing processes and, and all the steps within the wool supply chain. How did this convert to getting your wool from your farm into your wedding suit? I guess it was um, uh, on the second last flight uh, on the trip going from Chindao to Hong Kong to uh, see what happens at the wool lab at Walmart Hong Kong. Um, I went off to um, find some lunch and by this stage um, I, I was looking for food a bit more, um, a bit like home and, um, and uh, so I was separated from the group which was okay because we had quite a bit of time there and then I heard this Australian accent behind me and blow me down if it's not two tailors from the eastern suburbs of Sydney and he'd notice that we were there as a group um, um, and wondering what we were there for and he was... Oh, he was so excited about him at one end of the supply chain, we at the other end, and having that desire to look, him looking backwards to the farm and me looking forwards to the garment manufacturing. So because of that, he and he organised a photographer in, the fo- in, in May of 2018 to come out to our wool farm in, in Forbes and he was there for all morning and into the afternoon taking video footage of the shearing process and the, and the sheep out in the paddock to um, kind of have a first stage connection where it is. And then at the time in China he said, I'd really like to have an Australian made suit. And my thoughts were at the time, well, that's nice, but 
maybe 30 years too late because of the uh, wool processing has gone offshore because of the various um, uh, uh, issues, whether it be labour, environmental things, or just um, uh, the cost of processing here and things in Australia. And I thought, well, I'll see what I can do. I had a bit of a look around found lots of dead ends even looking with internet research and so as a result of that I then with the contacts that have been made in China through some of the places we went to I saw whether I would be able to get some of my wool processed in China however because of it being a smaller batch compared to their capacity um they weren't particularly interested. There are a couple that would have, with, with a lot down to two-ton batch, but still, that's a lot of wool for a first venture to be risking for our wool clip most of our fleece line in something that may or may not occur. So I, I talked to him about this, and he said, no, that's not really what I'm after. I'm not after something that's done in overseas. I really want it done here in Australia or not at all. So I guess... I said, oh, well, was all that work down the, down the drain as far as making contact there? But it actually happened to be not. Um, so fast-forwarding to uh, earlier in 2019, I guess I had this inkling and thought of... So I kept working away, and, um, and by then... I guess I'd met Kimberly, and, and I thought, well, I had this crazy idea, well, I want to make... Want to get married in my own wool, and making that connection with the tailor, then I kind of started to put a few pieces together, and um, and talk to uh, a lady uh, down at Bacchus Marsh at Cashmere Connections, which did the combing for me. Um, I thought it would be a brief conversation, but I was on the phone for 40 minutes with her because she was so excited about a young wool grower, passionate about trying to get something done here again in Australia. So the the sheep got shorn on the 4th of April. So the 4th of April of what year? Uh, 2019. And then from there, there was the range for the the two lighter bars, so um, the 200 kilos of greasy wool to go down to A.B. Robinson's in Geelong uh, for, for scouring. And then it got combed at Bacchus Marsh. I had arranged for a lady whom we'd visited at Easter time in Queensland to do the spinning, but due to health, we weren't able to do that. And I guess here again is where AWI stepped in to um, really give assistance to the process. I um, uh, made a phone call to Stephen Fain outlining the situation, and he put me in contact with um, Judy Taylor, who happened to be in Spain at the time at a machine textiles conference over there. So here I was frantically uh, talking to her from Australia to Spain. She made a few contacts and then uh, as a result it was arranged that my top could go over to Chanel to be spun over there. And it was quite uh, quite nice the fact that it was actually one of the places I visited on the trip the, the, the previous January. And then, um, so uh, it was organised to be air freighted to over to Chanel. It was uh, turned into a yarn and then brought back to Geelong Textiles um, for the weaving. And then it was uh, dyed and woven uh, and then piece dyed and then finished. Um, and then because of the, the time frame that the tailor 
at Bespoke Corner uh, Tailors here in Paddington, uh, it was too short. I, I had to go to the the second option, which was to uh, get them manufactured over in Hong Kong. And, well, blow me down if, um, if over in Hong Kong... Every street you walk down, there's a tailor jumping at you, wanting to sell you a suit. Because actually, absolutely, tailors was the only one that I took a card from, even there. So, um, so yes, yeah, so the the fabric was uh, sent over there, and then the Monday after Monday evening before the wedding, I flew over to Hong Kong to pick up the suits. Wow, what a journey! So, the wool starts on your farm, <coughs> goes to Shandong, comes back to Geelong back over to Hong Kong and then you fly it back the Monday before your wedding. Can you explain to me, um, or tell me about the suit? So explain what the wool is like and, and how it feels and, and what you actually got made from those two bales. Uh, so the suits are made for a 16.2 micron uh, uh, wiener wool. Um, our adult fleece is normally a 17.5, but um, yeah, so even with the drought conditions, uh, the um, micron is about what we would expect from our wieners. Um, we run about 1,400 um, uh, fine wools, uh, traditional wool type in a Roseville Park bloodline, they've been buying there for a long time and extremely happy with um, with what we get for their type of wools. They're still a traditional type of wool with, with a good, strong crimp, so a well, pro, a good processing wool. The, the types of the wool, types of wools that the Italians are looking for uh, when they're making their buying decisions um, each and every time. So we, we know that our wools are sold into high inserting materials already, so that's what gave me the confidence that they would be able to make uh, good suits and the feel of the um, the suit is um, just good, it's still got all those characteristics and I'm, I'm just really pleased with the fact that, that in Australia there is still that skill and ability to be able to weave and maintain the, the feel and the quality of super fine wool I knew it was there for the coarse walls, but for that super fine wool, it's just great that it's still, that expertise is still here in Australia. And so your whole wedding party wore your wool? Not completely. So the all the my, my suit and the groomsman suits were made of uh, the the same fabric um, from our wool. Kimberly had a shawl which was hand spun and hand woven by a lady near Geelong um, out of that same wool as well in a natural colour. And the bridesmaids were wearing a a, a wool knit. It was a, an Australian fabric as well by Wool Arena near Forbes where our, wool, our sheep run. And so uh, it, it was born as a roll, bought as a roll of fabric but still locally uh, grown and then uh, made by a dressmaker um, on the Sunshine Coast um, where some of Kimberley's family are as Kimberley come from Queensland. It's such an amazing journey that this wool fibre from you know the sheep that you shore in May um, to take this journey and to arrive at your wedding day and to be able to walk down the aisle in your own wool is pretty inspiring and really exciting that you could find um, that expertise in Australia to be able to do the um, you know that really technical work of the the weaving and the dyeing here. 
thank you so much, Floyd, for speaking with me. Um, and Kimberly, congratulations, both of you. I'm sure it would have been a fabulous wedding, and I'm sure you both looked fantastic. Um, thanks so much. Thank you. That's a wrap on this week's episode of The Yarn. For more information on the Nuffield Scholarship, Breeding Leadership and the Young Wool Grower China trip, you can visit wool.com or, of course, send us an email at theyarn at wool.com and we will get back to you. You can follow us on Twitter at Wool Innovation or Instagram at Beyond the Bale. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends about it. That's all from me. Thank you for listening and we look forward to our next yarn. Yarn.